What a fool I was to think that you could love me. And this was really the beginning of the end for radio as we knew it, John. Did you recognize that early? Oh, yes. Yes. For example, I remember going out to Chicago to record a show with Jimmy Durante and Don Amici when they were happened to be in Chicago and, you know, close enough so that I could go out by train and spend the night and then come back the next night. Mm -hmm. Coming through Pennsylvania at this time, I noticed these houses all with the television antennas everywhere you looked. And I suddenly realized I better get out of radio because here it is, even out here like Johnstown and places like that, the houses uh, way down the valley had tall antennas and the ones up high had short ones, but they were everywhere. And all of a sudden, uh, radio was slackening up and uh, whether you like television or not, you had to get into it if you wanted to keep on working. On Tuesday nights at 9.30 p.m. Eastern Time in the spring of 1950, Fibber McGee and Molly was NBC's highest rated show. They'd stuck with NBC while stars like Jack Benny, Edgar Bergen, George Burns, and Gracie Allen jumped to CBS. Their 17.7 was fourth overall, but their rating fell by almost six points from the year prior. It began Friday. Mm -hmm. What would you do? Would you be working with Don Quinn, going yes. over his uh, material? Oh, we'd meet on Friday, and then we would meet again Saturday, and we would meet Sunday, that was just with us and the writers, you see. And then on Monday, the cast would come in and we'd have a reading and then they'd go back to work and we'd take it on Tuesday morning again. The building of the show and everything, of course, was all done beforehand. How many uh, rehearsals would you have? Two. Was one a dress rehearsal? Yes, such? we'd have a dress on Tuesday about noontime. Would something. you have an audience for that? No. Uh, no. It wasn't necessary to gauge where no. the laps were going to fall and, mm -hmm. and so on. That's right. What? If they didn't fall, it was too bad. <laughs> they didn't always, believe me. And for uh, most of the time then, from 39 on, the show originated from always. the Hollywood studios. Always. Opposite on TV, NBC aired The Life of Riley, while CBS aired Suspense. The days of NBC's Tuesday night comedy schedule being appointment radio were over. You were part of a pretty strong lineup on yes, Tuesday, Tuesday night. Yes, Tuesday night was... Comedy was night, a, wasn't that's it? That's right. Bob Hope and then mm. Fibber McGee yeah. and Bob then Hope came in a little later. Red Skelton, Skelton was in there. Uh -huh. Then later Ozzie and Harriet and Amos and Andy, mm -hmm. too. Mm -hmm. On March 28th, Fibber McGee saw a UFO. The Johnson's Wax Program with Fibber McGee and Molly. The makers of Johnson's Wax and Johnson's Water Repellent Glow Coat present Fibber McGee and Molly with Bill Thompson, Gail Gordon, Arthur Q. Bryan, Dick Legrand, Elvia Allman, and me, Harlow Wilcox. The script is by Don Quinn and Phil Leslie. Music by the Kingsman and Billy Mills Orchestra. Fibber and Molly join us in a moment. Recent surveys disclose important news about Johnson's Glow Coat. They show that families with children are among the biggest users of this self-polishing floor wax that is now positively water repellent. Now, it's easy to see why. With children in the house, mud and snow are bound to be tracked in, water and food are bound to be splashed or spilled. Well, that's when you thank your lucky stars for Glow Coat. Just a flick of a cloth 
whisks mud or moisture off that hard, gleaming surface. Glow Coat stays on, stays bright, even after repeated damp mopping. And here's something else that's big news. Because it's positively water-repellent, Glow Coat now lasts up to four times longer. That means more for your money in every drop of Glow Coat you buy. Less work, too, because you have to do your floors so much less often. So tomorrow, get Johnson's Glow Coat. Whether you have children or not, you need this water-repellent floor polish for longer-lasting beauty and protection. It's in the familiar Glow Coat package. There's been a great deal of discussion lately, pro and con, about flying saucers. The pro people swear they've seen them. The con people say the pro people are victims of mass hypnotism. And here is one of the con men and his wife, Fibber McGee and Molly. And furthermore, you show me a guy that claims he's seen a flying saucer, and I'll show you a guy that the whole thing is just a mere pygmy of his imagination. You don't mean pygmy, dearie. A pygmy's a tiny little human being. Yeah, well, they claim they've seen them, too. Men from Mars, 23 inches tall, with big heads. The whole thing is ridiculous. It's mass historia. Oh, now, I wouldn't dismiss the subject as easily as that, McGee. The paper said this morning that an Army pilot chased one for 20 minutes. Yeah, but did he catch it? No, sir. Did anybody ever catch one? No, sir. And why not? Because they're in optical derision, that's why. <laughs> Look, sweetheart, Army pilots aren't usually hysterical people. Transport flyers must have good eyesight or they wouldn't be flying transports. <laughs> I'm inclined to think that uh, where there's so much smoke, it can't always be a false alarm. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Tootsie, okay. You'll see. When they finally catch up with one of them things, you'll see they nobody ever will. This stuff is nothing new. <laughs> Who was it back in 1912 that reported seeing a spaceship from Jupiter flying low and slow over the brewery back in Peoria? <laughs> Me, that's who. You. You betcha. And what did it turn out to be? A baby caterpillar crawling across my sunglasses. <laughs> flying saucers. Ta-da. All right. I won't argue, lover, but I'm still not convinced. No, I am. My personal opinion is that anybody that claims he's seen a flying saucer ought to go to a good optimist and get his peepers overhauled. <laughs> well, I gotta go downtown. You wanna go with me? Yes, it's a nice day for a walk. What are you gonna do downtown? I gotta look up a good patent lawyer about my new invention. Oh, invention? Mm-hmm. You mean the plastic cross piece for radio aerial so the neighbors will think you have a television set? <laughs> Oh, this this uh, new type of alarm clock. It's got a sponge rubber bell that you can't hear it when it rings on Sunday morning. You ought to make a small fortune with that. Yeah. Very small. Mm. I'll get my hat, dearie. Come in. Well, if it ain't the big pink doctor with the little black bag. Hello, doctor. Hello, Dr. Gamble. Hello, McGee. Hello, Molly. Going somewhere? Yes, but I always wear my hat in the house anyway. Then if somebody comes to the door that I don't want to talk to, I can say I'm on my way out. And if it's somebody I like, I can say I just came in. In this case, we're just going out. All right, I can take a hint. I'm not as thick-skinned as somebody I know that I could reach out and touch if I hadn't just washed my hands. 
Can I drop you any place, McGee? Like maybe on the top of your head? <laughs> well, we were just going downtown, Doctor, and you can give us a lift if you like. Uh, by the way, uh, you're an educated man, Doctor. Uh, what is your opinion of these flying saucers? Educated man, my clavicle. He's the type of ignoramus that believes anything. Children, I have been practicing medicine for 30 years. Practicing is right. <laughs> I believe everything and nobody. If hundreds of reputable citizens claim to see strange things in the sky, I'd be the last one to prescribe scoff medicine. Now there, McGee, you see, Dr. Gamble is no skeptic. Oh, he's open-minded, all right. The wind blows right through it. <laughs> so you believe in this flying saucer, Mahula? Eh, childish? I didn't say I believed in them, oh. but I don't deny there might be such things. Huh? I've never heard a Republican play the Missouri Waltz on a piano either, but that doesn't prove it couldn't happen. <laughs> We're on the front burner now. Yeah, we are. <laughs> well, come on, I'll drive you downtown. Thank you, Doctor. Thank you, Doctor. Much obliged. And if I see any spaceships on the way, I'll let you know. Thanks. You ready, Molly? Let's go, gentlemen. Flying saucers. Flying saucers. That's pure mob psychiatry. That's what it is. <laughs> Historia. I'll believe in them when I see them. And by George, I'll bet it'll be a long time. Heavenly days. Look up there. Look at the thing. Hey, what? Doc, the... it's coming this way. Oh! It's a flying saucer. Look at the tubes and the knobs. Look at it smoke. Right in our own front yard. Yow! Great Scott, if I hadn't believed this with my own eyes, I wouldn't have seen it. Stay away from it. <laughs> Stay away from it, boys. It might be dangerous. What do you think, Doctor? I don't know. It's a weird-looking object. I gotta report this. I'll call Washington. The hexagon building. You wait here and keep an eye on it. Where's the phone? Hand me the phone. Hello. Hello, operator. Give me long Washington and D.C. distance. <laughs> I mean... Connect me with the Army. Yeah. Hello, Army. This is Fibber McGee in Wistful Vista. A flying saucer just crashed in my front yard. Huh? What say, Army? Rope it off and keep people away from it, eh? Okay, Army. Right. Get some rope, Doc. Get some rope. We gotta rope it off. Keep people away from it. Orders from Washington. I called them. What'd they say? Uh, they says it's a lot of silly nonsense and don't talk about it to anybody. They said it was probably just my imagination and they're going to rush out and take pictures of it. Oh, boy, a flying saucer. Right in our own front yard. Billy knows the orchestra and the hot canary. You were better known as McGee than you were as Jim Jordan. Did folks still call you Mr. McGee? Yes, those who don't know me do. And the only people that don't are those that, you know, that I've known all my life. I have a great picture of you standing at the microphone and Marion Jordan seated at the microphone and the caption under it says, Molly sits at the table, but Fibber, who is always keyed up, prefers to stand at the mic. Do you remember being keyed up for the broadcast? No. That was in a Saturday Evening Post article around 1949. Well, did they spell McGee correctly? <laughs> <laughs> Wonderful. It's a strange thing, but I saw a lot of people that came from... Vaudeville, much later than we did, you know, that became big on radio, and they were frightened to death of that microphone. It was hard for us to understand that because we grew up with it from the beginning. 
How was television to do in terms of difficulty? Well, we did very little television, you see, because we stayed away from it as long as we could, you know, because, well, we just did, because right. for what everybody said we should do. Don't go into television until you have to. And about the time we decided to get into it, why, that's when Mrs. Jordan, when Molly and Marion became ill, and so we never did get into it. They did have a Fibber McGee and Molly series on television, wasn't yes. it? It was uh, Bob Sweeney and Kathy Lewis, I believe. Yes, uh-huh. Did you ever watch that show? Yes, I watched it some. I don't know whether to ask you, but how did you feel it compared with the radio? I never thought of it in that way. I never did compare it with the radio. I seen it, it was coming in low over the trees with its rockets shooting out blue flames. All right, folks, keep moving, keep moving. I seen it was in trouble, see, and I says to my wife, look, I says, a flying saucer. There's no such, she says, a thing. And I says, don't be, I says, so skeptical, I says. And she says that... All right, folks, move along, keep moving. And you, Gabby, get off them front steps and run along. He doesn't have to get off of these steps. He lives here, don't you, Gabby? Huh? I mean, McGee. <laughs> You betcha. Now, don't start ordering me around, Flatfoot. I'm the fellow that he first seen that flying saucer. I seen it crash, too. It was coming in low over the trees, see, with its rockets shooting blue flames. I seen it was in trouble yeah, because... Yeah, yeah, yeah. I heard you tell it 12 times already. Hey, you kids, get away from them ropes. My, my, I haven't seen such excitement since the lion got loose at the circus and you chased him back into his cage, McGee. I wasn't chasing him. He grabbed my hamburger and I was trying to get it back. <laughs> My gosh, I was... Hey, look at the Boy Scout. Oh, handsome kid in that uniform, ain't he? Hey, bud, you want to hear about how I seen that flying saucer crash? Yes, sir, I would. That's uh, fine, Sonny. I think all you Boy Scouts should know. Oh, I'm not a Boy Scout, ma'am. I'm a lieutenant colonel in the Air Force. <laughs> Retired. A lieutenant colonel. Oh, yes, sir. I'm not as young as I look. I'm 20. <laughs> uh, can you tell me, sir, did this aircraft have a tapered empennage, and did it appear to be a guided missile rather than a conventional pilot control type? Would you say it was dependent on rocket propulsion or some hitherto unknown gravity-repellent magnetic field type of turbojet power? Uh, well, uh... Tell him, dearie. <laughs> okay. Well, sir, bud, the first time I seen it, it was coming in low over them trees with its rockets shooting out blue flame. Hey, wait a minute. Hey, how do I know you ain't the agent for some foreign power, Buster? Are them American decorations you're wearing? Oh, uh, uh, yes, sir. Most of them I got since the war. Oh? Spraying fruit trees. <laughs> <laughs> this distinguished fruit fly award with the six twigs was for 20 <laughs> combat missions over an apple orchard in Walla Walla. And you got back safely from all of them, huh? Oh, yes, ma'am. My last mission was pretty tough, though. My wingman crashed into a cider mill and came in at 12 o'clock. Hi. <laughs> well, thanks for the information, sir. Good day, ma'am. Good day, Sonny. I mean, Colonel.
What are they doing now? Well, let's go over and see if it don't get too close, Tootsie. That thing might be retroactive. Radioactive. <laughs> Retroactive means it goes back. <laughs> well, this baby won't go back. Looks like our kitchen stove after I make pancakes. All battered up. <laughs> hey, folks, let us through here, please. Let us through. We're the people that see the crack. Let us through. Look, Joe, there's that pot-bellied little moron that's been ordering everybody around. He must think he owns this place. He don't own nothing, the petty larceny little twerp. He'd probably want to charge us four bits a head for standing here. All right, folks, all right now. You're all trespassing on my property, you know. Everybody that wants to stay and watch, it'll cost you two bits a head. Now, now, take it easy, dearie. You can't charge people. Oh, hello there, Mr. Wilcox. Oh, hi, Junior. Let the man through, folks. Let him through. Thank you. Thank you. Hello, Molly. Hello, pal. Hey, here you've got a flying saucer here. Fed it over there, that pile of junk metal? That's it, Junie. Me and Molly and Doc Gamble seen it crash. I first seen it coming in low over the trees, see? Flying low with orange and green lights and five little men sticking their heads out of the porthole. <laughs> it circled the city hall and then they all bailed out in the whole... McGee! Fi- huh? They did not. Well, they must have. There was nobody in it when it hit. <laughs> well, this is very interesting. This is the first real proof we've had of interplanetary travel. Hey... I'm going to ask for a bigger sales territory for Johnson's Wax products. Huh? Mars, Mercury, Jupiter, Venus. Ah, Venus. That's for me. Maybe they don't have any linoleum on Mars, Mr. Wilcox. Well, they won't have any Mars on their linoleum either. They sure won't when I sell them that wonderful Johnson's water repellent glow coat, the finest protection against Mars and scratches and spilled things that money can buy. Hey, hey, wait a minute, Flash Gordon. <laughs> you seriously think you could take a spaceship up through the Milky Way to sell...